Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Finance Focus Industry Insight podcast. I'm joined by Rowan today. Rowan, how are you doing? Hey, doing very well. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. We've actually had to reschedule this one a few times, so I'm feeling very lucky to be finally uh, talking to you. Obviously, my fault, not Rowan's fault. But, uh, <laughs> no, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, well, Rowan, look, why don't we start with you introducing yourself and your background? Sure, sure. Happy to do so. So, um, yeah, my name is Rowan. Uh, I'm I'm originally from Berlin, uh, but have the pleasure to to work in London. Love the city, great place. Um, so, to to give a bit about kind of my background, um, I actually um, yeah before before starting in private equity, I, I actually studied in in Switzerland in St. Gallen, uh, pursuing a degree in economics. Um, also had a bit of time to, to spend an exchange in the US and LA, had a great time there, great weather, great people, blast, I have to say. Um, and after my studies, I basically um, decided to do an internship in private equity and investment banking. Uh, I mean, kind of one of the, the key reasons for, for those two were just that a lot of people on campus were super excited about joining either of them. So I thought, okay, it sounds interesting, but let's give it a try. <laughs> um, but I didn't know back then what kind of the right one would be for me. So I wanted to, to try both. And um, having kind of done both internships, I quickly realized that the buy side is the one that I found much more exciting, much more interesting. Uh, and as a result, I I decided to pursue a degree in, in, in finance in London to just kind of build out my, my technical foundation because uh, economics in, in the German speaking area of, um, of Europe tends to be a bit more yeah, theoretical and very focused on kind of economics and very little finance or business. Um, so I, I studied in London um, and after my uh, kind of also during this time, I, I decided to pursue mostly um, kind of positions in, in private equity and um, eventually was super lucky to um, have the offer from Partners Group to join them uh, in Zug uh, in Switzerland. It's a super small, super small town. Um, I mean, to, me, to, uh, to be fully honest, I actually wanted to stay in London, <laughs> but um, I thought this is such a great opportunity. So let's actually move back to Switzerland um, and, and give it a try, right? Let's start a Partners Group. and. Um, I have to say, I, I, had, I had a great time so far. Um, I also have to say that I was super lucky to actually have this opportunity. Um, but yeah, happy to answer any questions. Yeah, awesome. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, a little bit about your internships in investment banking and private equity. Uh, what was it then that, that convinced you that private equity specifically was what you wanted to do over investment banking? What were the differentiators between the two for you? I'd have to say kind of the key differences in my opinion are um, first of all in private equity you you are a principal rather than an agent right I mean investment banking I believe is a great start where you can learn a lot where you can have a lot of uh, unique experiences um, but in private equity since you you actually put money on the table and uh, yeah, kind of not only your own money, but also your client's money, you, you actually need to understand what you're doing there, right? Uh, you actually need to dig deep, uh, also decide on, 
on why you, I mean, first of all, why you want to acquire a certain asset, but also why you believe you are the right owner. Uh, what can you do for, for the kind of, for the company? What can you do to add value to, to the investment? How can you work together with management? Um, and as a result, you, you, you are just incentivized in a very different way. Um, and therefore this just, was in my opinion a, a very different type of motivation that's the first reason the second reason is um it's something that i found super exciting about and still find super exciting about private equity is that you you work on so many different areas and kind of aspects of a company i mean you you need to understand the commercial side right you need to understand kind of what the product is what the services are uh where is the company positioned um, in the value chain, what the competitors and so on, but you also need to be able to analyze the financials, right? So, um, and then lastly, um, legal and tax, for instance. So it's it's a it's a wide uh, range of of topics that you need to dive into and and need to understand, um, and that is super interesting in my opinion because it's 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 so diverse and always challenging also given that every company is different every every uh vertical is different every sub theme that you're working on is different um yeah those are the key reasons that, that made it so exciting and then maybe a last one that i would like to highlight is um for me it was always important to to actually do something entrepreneurial um, this has just shaped my thinking a lot. And that's why I always wanted to do something where you can, where you can actually build something. Uh, I mean, in private equity, it's a bit more indirect, right? It's not kind of the same as, uh, being a founder and starting your own business, but it's still similar in the sense that you, you need to think about how you can improve the, uh, a certain investment, a certain business. Um, and what type of value creation levers you can you can yeah make use of, um, and therefore the, the work itself is super entrepreneurial in my opinion, and those those are the kind of the key the three key reasons that that um, make private equity so so interesting to me. Uh, as often with with life, there's three things you know three seems to be a very common number a trifecta of reasons which <laughs> right. as to you know what led you towards PE if I was then to you know if we talk more about the buy side I've I've done internships in traditional asset uh, traditional kind of asset managers and stuff how does PE for those people who don't know really differ from that in the way you analyze uh, a business and whether you want to uh, acquire it or not it seems that there would be more risk a greater variety of risk reward perhaps than a publicly traded company so perhaps rowan if you just comment a bit about that yeah sure sure no worries uh so um yeah so the key differences in my opinion are when you are when you are working at a traditional asset manager uh a place like blackrock right uh you tend to acquire first of all um public positions and then you buy minority positions so and it's usually not significant stakes so it's a bit more that you are a very passive investor on the private equity side you you buy um majority stakes so as a result um you actually acquire usually you acquire the, the entire business uh it can be either kind of you alone as a sponsor or you can also team up with someone so that's that also tends to be quite popular these days given that 
kind of valuations have increased a lot and companies have become more and more expensive. Um, and as a result, since you acquire the majority, um, you can actually drive the value creation. So uh, what, what I mean is that, uh, first of all, you can, you can name the board. So you can decide who's actually on the board of directors. Um, usually it's kind of a couple of people that, that you are, that you know, that you have worked with. So experts in, in the area, but you also have someone from, from your own team. So it's, it's usually a partner or an MD. Um, and given that you, you actually kind of decide on the composition of the board um, and can drive the value creation, you work very closely with the management team. So you set up a plan, for instance, um, a five-year plan um, on kind of what you want to do with the management team. Um, so it can be, for instance, if, if you have a, if you have, let's say, acquired a very local business, let's assume uh, a UK-based business, and uh, you see a lot of potential expanding internationally, let's say in the US, uh, you can work together with management and on kind of driving growth in the US. So. Uh, what you can potentially do is acquire a business in the U.S., a kind of platform to get some, some entry point and then expand from there. And if you are a private equity player that has a lot of experience in this, um, you can actually add a lot of value because you can, um, if you've already done this, right, in the past, um, the advantage is that you already have some kind of playbook uh, and can work together with management in order to yeah, kind of get this done. Um, and as a result, um, you can, to some extent drive your return, right? Because you can, you have some, some impact on where the company is going and the key advantages are here. Um, first of all, as mentioned that you can drive them or you can, you have influence on the return. And the second is also, um, during a downturn, right. Or let's say also during what we had now with the pandemic. Uh, the advantage is that if you are working so closely with management and the company, you can also react very quickly. So what, what we have done, for instance, during the pandemic is that we have, we have reacted very fast um, in order to, to um, kind of ensure that all of our portfolio companies have enough liquidity during this type of potential recession, right? No one knew what would, what would happen and uh, if we would potentially go into a longer recession. Um, and this is something that if you are, if, if you don't have anyone behind you, right? Um, that is something that is, that could be potentially quite difficult. Um, for instance, we can then very quickly provide liquidity ourselves or we can work very fast with banks to, to um, add any type of debt that could help the company. Um, so it also helps our investments during a recession or a downturn. If you are invested uh, on the public side, right? That's uh, as you said, as an asset manager, you have, you don't have any influence during a recession, right? What you can do is you can sell. Uh, that that is probably one of the key advantages. Uh, but in private equity, you don't you don't not necessarily sell during a downturn because you know that your returns will be quite bad, right? Uh, so you will hang on and you will help the company through this time and then um, potentially sell it when, when everything um, has turned for the better. Um, 
but yeah, as a result, I mean, those are kind of the advantages. The disadvantages also that is of course that you probably has have less diversification. If you have, if you are an asset manager acquiring, um, let's say, only equities, you can actually have a very diversified portfolio um, across sectors, across geographies, and have very small positions in, in individual companies. Uh, on the private equity side, you also can diversify. I mean, you can diversify also across geographies and, and verticals, but your portfolio is probably, first of all, more concentrated. And then also given that you have a longer term commitment um, and the companies are private, the, uh, your investments are also less liquid. So um, you also, as, as a result, you have, you have higher risk, right? Uh, for, for the potentially higher returns that you are expecting. But those are, in my opinion, the key, key differences. Very interesting. Um, one thing I would ask then, when, when acquiring a, a stock traditionally, you have access to many metrics about that stock. You know, it's historical price, volatility, PE, things like that. Yeah. Uh, as someone who uh, is in private equity, what are the tools you have access to when going about valuation? Because often we hear about valuation, you know, if you hear some of the big names, um, Uber and things like that, and how they've been evaluated, for instance, there, there seems to be some discrepancy and, and, um, and of course there should be, you know, people should value things differently, but how do you come up with that final figure? Because different people have different ways and different, different weightings they put on certain things. And I guess yeah. in, in PE where, um, growth can be such a big thing, right? But that means you have to assess a lot more of something's potential than what it has already actualized, if, if my question makes sense, Rowan. No, it's a very good question. It's, uh, it's probably something that um, you wouldn't know if you weren't working in private equity, but um, there are different ways how to approach this. I mean, the, the, the easiest way is usually uh, the seller has some type of kind of price expectation. Um, so the seller usually has, um, has done their own work. I mean, sellers tend to, uh, work with bankers, right. And they support them in, in actually finding a valuation. Um, and then you need to under, kind of, you need to see if you can actually match this price. So that's the, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, not potentially, not necessarily the best approach, <laughs> but it's actually quite common. Um, Another, another approach is that you come up with your own valuation as you, as you mentioned, right? Um, and um, how you can do this is basically, um, there, there are different ways to do this. I mean, the, the one way is to kind of use kind of valuation methods that, that uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, kind of comps for instance, right? Um, doing public comps, transaction comps and see where where this potential company would end up. Um, and if you do so, um, you basically also build an LBO model. Uh, so kind of a financial model where you plug in the price, you, you assume an exit price, forecast the business model um, and see where you end up in terms of returns. And what we do, you, uh, what we do then is um, we have a certain return that we underwrite. So, basically a, a return that we expect. Um, so if we assume something like a five-year holding period, and let's assume 20% uh, IRR, 
um, that's kind of the base case um, that we're trying to achieve. And if we have a certain feeling for an exit valuation, right? Uh, if we believe, okay, we we have actually looked at uh, we have actually looked at comparables. Uh, we have talked to uh, to bankers as well, and we feel that this company can be sold um, at I don't know, like 15, 15 times EBITDA. Um, if we have a, actually a very, very aggressive business plan that we believe uh, is feasible and we believe we can back, we can, as a result, go higher in price, right? Because our, our assumption or our goal is still an IRR of 20%. Uh, so we say, okay, if the business plan is actually quite, uh, quite aggressive, but still realistic in our view, we can maybe enter at I don't know like 17 times EBITDA, so we can actually we can actually underwrite 17 times and assume uh, a, a kind of um, a multiple compression of two turns. If we, on the other hand, have a business that is super stable, um, low growth, and potentially not too much um, kind of margin improvement potential. We would say, okay. I mean, if we if we believe that we can exit this at 15 times, we probably don't want to pay too much because we still have have uh, our underwriting assumption, right, or goal. Um, we could probably go down a bit in terms of IR and say, okay. I mean, we if this business is super stable, we don't believe that this is going to kind of uh, default or go go down anywhere. Um, we can also say, okay, we don't necessarily need 20% IR. We, we are fine with 18 or 17. Um, and as a result, can also go higher in price. So, um, so it depends very much on, on what you believe you can do with the business. And therefore, it's so important that you understand what you can do with the business, right? If, if you believe um, you can do something with the business and you have a view that no one has, right? If you believe, okay, hey, I, I actually think that we can expand this in China. I think this product has a lot of potential in China and no one else has this view and um, sees this potential. You can go, you can pay a higher price, right? Um, and that's why you have players like, uh, like HG that are very strong in technology um, and know very well what they're doing in, uh, in terms of kind of what they are doing with technology businesses. And as a result, they can pay very high prices. Um, same for a player like uh, Vista in the US, right? They're, they're, they're focused on technology as well. And they are also, they tend to be aggressive with their price as well because they, they, they know what they can do with their business. Um, but this is how, how we and um, normally also other people, other folks in, in, in the private equity space are thinking about valuation. And so you mentioned uh, perhaps uh, different types of businesses that you may acquire, some being high growth, some being more stable. Do companies have specific companies that they look to buy in terms of where they are in their, in their kind of cycle? So like quite, you know, infant companies with a, a lot of potential, perhaps somewhere in the middle that need a bit of direction and then some which are nearly, you know, very well established and showing good revenue and whatnot. Where, where do you, where is the majority of private equity kind of uh, focused? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's a very good question. Uh, it depends a bit on kind of the size of the private equity player. So if you are, uh, if you are focused on kind of upper mid cap to large cap 
Um, so what we are doing, you tend to acquire businesses, businesses that are already quite mature. So businesses that have been in the market for many, many years um, that are um, kind of market leaders that are leaders in a certain niche um, that often already have a global footprint and with more potential to grow internationally. So these are, these are companies that we would look at. If you are um, working more on the kind of small cap side, right? Uh, you could, you probably look at companies that are less mature, uh, companies that often um, actually need help with, for instance, building up the, their back office team. Um, so companies that are still, um, yeah, let's, let's say less institutionalized. Um, but if, if you are pursuing companies that are, that are big, um, you, you tend to acquire more mature businesses. Um, and as a result, the value creation also tends to be, be more difficult, right? Because quite often with these big businesses, uh, either they are already quite, quite institutionalized, right? Either because the, the, the founder or kind of the management team has done a very good job or often these businesses have, or have already been owned by, by other private equity players. Uh, so players that are more active in the small cap space or players that are more active in the mid cap space. And they, they potentially have already done some of the value creation. Uh, and private equity players tend to, to start with the, the kind of the, the, the low hanging fruits. So everything that's, that's, that's a bit more easy, right? Um, and then if you acquire the company at a later stage, uh, it tends to be more more difficult, um, but that's that's how we think about it. And, and on on kind of the what you can also see on the um, when you assess a company, right? That's already a bit bigger. These companies tend to be, as mentioned, more stable. They already potentially have fairly high margins. Um, are also cash generative. Um, have have for instance uh, high barriers to entry, so you have a you ha actually have a business that is already doing quite well. I mean, not always. Uh, you also want to look at companies that 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 are potentially struggling, right? Because you can do more value creation. But quite often on on, on the upper mid cap and large cap space, you look at companies that that are already quite quite mature. Right. And so a couple of questions then. A, a company like you, the one you work for that you said operates with more established companies, where do you take these companies and to whom do you sell? Um, and is it fellow competitors? Do they sometimes go public? You know, what happens? Yeah, yeah. So um, there are different exit options that, that we have. I mean, one of them is selling to a, to another private equity player. I mean, there's there are always other players out there that are that are potentially interested, uh, and other players that with very deep pockets. I mean, many private equity firms have, have raised record funds over the last couple of months or years, so they they actually have enough dry powder. Um, another another exit option is to is to sell to a strategic player. So you can always sell to some corporate. Um, if you have a, if if you have acquired a business that has a product that is very complementary to to um, yeah to to a corporate. So for instance, I, I recently was working on on a technology business, and um, the company actually provides a software 
um, for um, for financial services uh, businesses. And one potential exit for this business is actually to sell it to um, technology companies like Microsoft or Salesforce or, or IBM. So that is always quite attractive because you can you can actually get fairly high prices, right? If you sell it to a sponsor, to a private equity player, they try to get a, they try to pay a low price because they want to maximize their returns, right? If you pay to a, if you pay uh, if you sell to a strategic, they are not necessarily that worried about uh, about the price because they actually can realize a lot of synergies, um, and they are not so focused on on returns, so they can often pay higher prices. Um, and then the a third exit option is to simply IPO the business, so that's that's also popular, especially during this environment because. Uh, public valuations have, have have been very high, and uh, it's a very good exit environment. Um, and then the last one that is actually has has, uh, has become more popular over the last couple of months, uh, and also kind of over the last couple of years, is um, is to basically sell it to kind of a special purpose vehicle. So if you have realized that that. If you have acquired a business and you have already held on to it for five years, let's say, you quite often need to show some kind of liquidity event to your investors because they are invested in your fund and want to see some, some liquidity, right? They are not going to wait, let's say, more than 10 years, right? Because they, they, they want to get that money back at some point. Um, so what some private equity players have done is actually to sell um, a certain investment into, into a continuation fund or vehicle uh, because they believe they can create more value um, and by, by holding onto it and, and kind of keep working on it. But at the same time, if you do this, you can, you can sell some of the kind of part of the company to, to other investors. So there are actually players out there in the market that that are interested in acquiring um, a stake in this type of company and this continuation vehicle, because they also believe that there's more, that, that more can be done here. And um, if some, if, if you believe that, okay, you, you had a stake of let's say 80% and you now want to sell 30% um, of it, um, you can hold on to the rest. Um, and, um, the thirty percent you can basically liquidate and pay back to your investors. So that's that's kind of one fairly popular actually um, exit option that, that that a lot of private equity players have used over the last couple of months. Um, but those are the four, in my opinion, main exit options. Definitely, um, and in terms of what you see as your skill set that makes you um, suited towards private equity. What would you say uh, are, are the strengths that you possess which allow you to uh, do well in this industry? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think there's, uh, I mean, of course, there's, there's always luck to it. You, you always need a bit of luck. Um, but a couple of kind of strengths that you, that you see throughout the industry that people have, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call myself successful, uh, also given that, that uh, 
uh, I, I mean, I'm, I've only worked in private equity for kind of more than three years. So there are, there are a bunch of folks out there that, that have already spent 10 plus years, some even more than 20 years in the industry. So they, they can probably answer this question better. <laughs> um, I would say a couple of points that, that successful people in the industry have in common is, first of all, a, a very a kind of um, analytical mindset. So you need to be able to analyze businesses, but also dig deep and kind of identify the key risks. Um, so what what are what, what what are potential risks out there that can that can kill this potential investment, um, and what could could go wrong? Right, that's something that you need to understand fully, and you need to be able to get comfortable. If you if you don't get get comfortable, then it's probably not the right investment. Uh, but if you believe, okay, this is actually something that is fine, I can get comfortable, um, and these are the reasons, right, um, for for this. So, for instance, if you acquire an offline business uh, in retail, and you see a certain risk that online players like Amazon could enter the market, right? Do you feel comfortable? And uh, you basically need to understand. You basically need to analyze this and understand. Okay, what are the how high are the chances of actually a player like Amazon entering the market? So if if you have, for instance, if if this retail business is, for instance, in in Eastern Europe, right? The chances of a player like Amazon entering the market are potentially a bit lower because the infrastructure is, is not not necessary on on the same level as, as let's say in the UK, right? Or maybe you the businesses the business that you are planning to acquire is selling um, kind of super low cost items, so it's maybe not even worth kind of buying these things online. It's maybe much easier to just kind of buy them. Um, uh, offline in the store. So these are points that you would look into to understand, okay, um, is this, can I get comfortable? So you need to be able to analyze these things. Um, the second point is kind of being able to build relationships because um, at the end of the day, in private equity, you work with a lot of different, kind of a lot of different types of people and also a lot of people. Um, you work with consultants, you need to be able to manage them, you work with bankers, you work with um, lawyers, you work with your own internal team, right? So, and then you also need to be able to, to talk to management, um, need to be able to uh, be convincing there. Um, and at the end of the day, private equity is a long-term game, right? I mean, you are investing long-term, you're investing for a couple, not only for one year, but often three, four, five, or even more years. So you need to keep working with these people and you also need to be able to um, yeah, kind of maintain a relationship because at some point you might, you might need to kind of get back to these people again, right? If you look at the potential investment and believe, okay, um, industry expert X was actually super helpful during one of our past investments. So let's, let's reach out to this person again. Um, same for sourcing, right? If you, if you know, people in the industry, if you know potential owners, if you know um, bankers that are actually um, hired for, for the sell side, um, they can reach out to you for, for potential investments. So it's very important that you, that you need to be able to build relationships, maintain them, and uh, kind of keep growing with them. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, a third one is, in my opinion, 
you also need to be, you need to have this, or you need to have passion for kind of entrepreneurship because um, private equity is, is a very stressful job and you, you tend to have long hours. Um, often you work on, on potential investments for months and then you lose a deal, which is super frustrating. Right? Um, but you need to be able to, to get going again and uh, keep working and looking for new opportunities, looking for new potential investments. So you need to have this drive and this, this uh, yeah, kind of passion for entrepreneurship to actually make a difference, build something um, and, and working with people to, to uh, make a business better. Because it, it's, it can actually happen quite fast that you, you, you work on, let's say you work uh, on a couple of potential investments over a year and then you lose all of them. Right, it's super frustrating, and you realize, okay, hey, maybe this is this is super bad. Right, uh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But if you don't have this drive, if you don't if you don't have this, this passion for, as I mentioned, for entrepreneurship, you will very quickly give up, and then maybe look for something else. And this is absolutely fine, in my opinion. If you think, okay, this is not the right one for me, maybe I'm um, um, something with higher, let's say, velocity, with higher deal flow is, is more suitable for me. That's absolutely fine. But in private equity, you, you, need, you need to have the stamina um, to keep going. For sure. Um, and then you mentioned luck, Rowan. I'm curious, when I've spoken to traditional asset managers, they say, you know, you tend to be right just over half of the time. So if as a, if, as a as a, a stock picker, let's just say, if you're right 55% to 60% of the time, you're actually really quite good. Um, how do those percentages uh, look in private equity? How often are you right? How often are you wrong? Is it still the case that you try and be, you know, maybe perhaps you're right and wrong, pretty similar, but you try and be, when you're right, you try and be big. Uh, and, you know, you try and have big wins and small losses. Or is it different in private equity? Is it a different picture? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always good to be to be a hundred percent right, <laughs> but I guess that's 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 pretty much impossible. Um, on the private equity side, since we actually have the ability to to drive, as I said, value creation and have an impact on the business, um, we actually try to be right um, as often as possible, um, and that is that is probably also one of the key differences to, to asset management, as you said, but also to venture capital, for instance. Um, we, on the private equity side, especially if you're kind of on the more upper mid cap, large cap side, um, you underwrite very large tickets. So it can be 500 million uh, to a billion or even a billion plus of equity. So you, you don't want to get this wrong, right? So, um, and that's one of the reasons why we do so much due diligence. You, we spend money on actually understanding the business, uh, working with industry advisors and so on, um, because we don't get, want to get this wrong. And, that, as, and therefore we, we also don't necessarily underwrite super high returns as, as you would see, for instance, on the venture side. Um, on the venture side, especially on the, on, on, on the early stage side, you often underwrite 10X or more. Um, on the private equity side, uh, you tend to underwrite something like 
let's say 2.3, 2.5x or something. And that's absolutely fine. I mean, that's that's fully and that's that's absolutely enough for us. Um, but you also don't. If you do this, you also need to get as much as possible right. Um, so you don't want your kind of half of your portfolio to um, to be written off, and then half of your portfolio to be two x, right? Because then your put your overall performance would not be good. Um, so overall. Um, you want to be something, I mean, you want to have the majority of your, your investments, um, let's say something like 80% or something to be good. Uh, and then maybe 20% that, that doesn't go so, doesn't go so well. But if something is not going well on the private equity side, um, the advantage of actually kind of being in a driver's seat and actually being able to do something about it is, you can actually hold on to the investment, right? You can you can continue working with management and actually turn this around. So uh, if you are good at what you're doing, your investment might, after two years, right? If something is not going right, let's say during the pandemic, and you 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 mark down your investment to two point uh, something like 0.5x, right? 0.5x. Uh, so you would lose half of your money. Um, I mean, you don't necessarily need to sell it, right? You can keep onto it and you can, you can turn this around. If you believe, okay, maybe the industry or the market has changed and you need to reposition the business um, towards more, let's say, let's assume the business historically has been focusing on, on services and you believe it's actually better positioned when you turn this uh, into a software business, right? Um, then you might be able to turn us to turn us around and still get back your money, um, and and at least not lose your money, right? So as a result, um, we try to keep, kind of hold on to our investments and and keep improving them, um, even if we believe okay this is this is not going this is not going right at the moment, uh, but we know that we can we can turn us around. Um, but yeah, as, as you said, there's, there, there are certainly investments that are not going so well and it applies to everyone. I mean, same for us. Um, there are certain investments that, that we potentially need to write, kind of write off. Um, but we, would, we try to, to minimize this. And in terms of your, uh, the constituency of your clients, perhaps, I'm curious as to what type of people invest in private equity um, because I imagine, like you said, the risk being higher than perhaps something publicly traded and more liquid means that it, it might not be um, a dominant option for, for insurance and pension and things like that. But if it is, of course, you can correct me. So what, what does your client makeup look like? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned insurances or um, pension funds. Actually, the majority of our clients are pension funds and insurance firms. Um, Pension funds, endowments, insurances, uh, insurance firms—they actually have increased their their allocation to private equity over over the last couple of years, and also going back several years, um, because of the fact that we have so low interest rates. So uh, these LPs, right, are looking for yield, and uh, private equity is actually a place where historically they have been able to find this. Um, and that's why they actually have, have increased their allocation to private equity, but also something like venture capital. Um, I mean, the main reason why why our kind of our clients, but also clients to other private equity players, tend to be pension funds, endowments, 
uh, insurance firms or kind of high net worth individuals is that um, there are there are regulatory requirements to invest in in this type of asset class uh, kind of public investments stocks are something that everyone can invest in because um, you don't have the same risk right it's it's very liquid um, you have a lot of information online because it's a public company so everyone can invest as long as they have a kind of a brokerage account. Um, on the private equity side, since, since it's so risky and also given the illiquid nature of, of the investment, right, you, you basically commit to, uh, to, to a fund uh, of 10 years. So you cannot pull out your money. I mean, of course, you can, uh, in some instances, you can sell on the secondary market, but it's still fairly complicated. Um, and in most cases, you, you cannot sell at all. So you actually have to hold on to your investment for 10 years. Um, and as a result, not everyone can invest. So you need to, you need to uh, kind of, you need to match some of the criteria. So you either need to, for instance, have a certain um, network, you need to uh, have a certain income, or you need to be an institution to actually invest in private equity. So the number of potential investors uh, into private equity as a result, um, is limited. No, definitely. I, I understand what you're saying there. And I'm, I'm glad you corrected me. I just, but I, I have seen actually, um, those types of clients that you may have moving towards things which can perhaps mimic the rate of return they used to get from interest. So you see a lot of alternatives, uh, coming to play now. Uh, I did an internship, uh, where we kind of did, we replicated hedge funds, but tried to remove uh, the beta so you only had alpha left for instance and that gave you six or seven percent a year so you know strategies like that i can see why they move towards private equity because uh, it seems like well obviously you guys know what you're doing and you have a consistent uh, level of performance and so in order to replicate what they used to get from insure um from interest uh, and bonds they 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 go to you guys rowan i must say it's been um very educational speaking to you as someone who doesn't know much about private equity it seems quite funny to me that actually, because it's called private equity, but also that people actually don't know much about it. Um, <laughs> the name kind of gives it away in a sense. Yeah. Um, for those people who have been intrigued by what we've spoken about today and would then perhaps uh, look into a career in private equity, what would be your words of advice for them or, or perhaps more generally about uh, picking a career? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I believe that there are several ways to to start a career in private equity, but the easiest kind of the easiest ways are probably to start somewhere in investment banking or consulting. That's that's that tends to be the, the kind of natural path into private equity. I mean, there are some private equity firms like like Partners Group or, or Blackstone, for instance, that actually acquire uh, that they actually hire um, graduates, but most of the private equity firms only hire Kind of experienced people, so people that are, have already spent at least a year, often actually two years uh, or more, um, in investment banking or consulting, for instance. And the reason why uh, why why um, they hire from from those two um, sources is that uh, consulting and investment banking actually um, people in investment banking and private and uh, consulting actually do something that is very similar to to private equity, right? And on the consulting side, it's it's very commercially focused. So you, you work on a lot of kind of 
value creation as well. Uh, on an investment banking side, of course, it's kind of the financial side, modeling and so on. And um, those two parties also tend to be kind of advisors to private equity firms. So it's, it's, a, it's a very natural path from, from consulting and investment banking to, to private equity. So everyone that's interested in private equity, I would say, try to get some experience in investment banking or consulting, do an internship there. And uh, if you can also do an internship in, in private equity, right? And, and as a result, kind of build up a, a profile that is, that is interesting to, to many private equity firms. And after graduation, um, if either kind of make it directly into private equity, but that's, that's a bit rare actually. But if you cannot make it, start in investment banking or consulting, uh, spend a couple of years there, uh, learn kind of the tools that they are, uh, that, that they are teaching you, build a network, um, and then kind of start, start looking for private equity positions. Uh, and once you are ready, um, once you are ready to kind of step into private equity, um, reach out to headhunters because most private equity firms hire or use headhunters to, to hire um, associates. Um, so reach out to all sorts of, of headhunters, speak to them, um, tell them why you're interested um, and also figure out what uh, kind of who they are working for. Uh, because a lot of headhunters tend to kind of uh, have good relationships with, uh, with certain private equity firms. Um, so you will want to know who these, who those, who these people are um, and who you can, can talk to in order to, to get an interview. Um, and once you are there, uh, it's, it's, it's a matter of kind of practice in my opinion. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think that private equity is rocket science. Um, I actually think that's something like hedge funds, right? If, if you are working at, um, at a quantitative hedge fund, I think that's actually more complicated. I mean, some people might disagree with me, but I think that's actually more complicated. So it's a lot about kind of practice, a lot about experience on the private equity side. And that's something that, that um, if you are interested, um, learn about the stuff, learn about LBO models, learn about kind of analyzing financial statements, um, analyzing markets and so on. Um, and then you will be ready for, for interviews. Perfect. Rowan, thank you so much for that and also the rest of the podcast. Like I said, it's been very, very informative and I know people will take a, lo a lot away from this one. Uh, and so I just want to thank you from myself and from them as well. No worries. It was a pleasure uh, being on this podcast.